Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. It is so good to be with you this morning. I am really excited about the message this morning. This may be one of the most important things I've ever shared with you, with this church in the 35 years I've been here, 34 actually. Would you pray with me as we start here? Holy Spirit, teacher, revealer, teach us this morning. Open our eyes to things that we're not seeing, to blind spots and error that keep us bound in sin or delusion. Holy Spirit, reveal to us our oneness with Christ. Cause us to understand and embrace how to allow Christ to be our lives as an experiential reality. Lord Jesus, you're in us. Live your life through us. Live your life through us in obedience to our Father's will and in and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, take possession of us. Take control of us. Take over our minds, our wills, our hearts. Have your way from this moment and forevermore. Lord, I pray that as the, the, the one who is designated to bring the message this morning, that you would anoint me and fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit right now, that I might communicate supernaturally. As Paul said to the Corinthian church, I don't come with words, with wise words and eloquent speech, but I come in the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I stand on your promise that your word that goes forth from your mouth will not return to you void, but will accomplish that for which you send it forth. I pray right now that you would cause that to happen through your servant and in our hearts this morning, including my own. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mm. Well, we are at the end of a series that Dennis and I started eight weeks ago called Union with Christ. Union with Christ, that, that Christ is in us and we are in him. And uh, last week we talked about this whole thing of in John 14 where <clears throat> Jesus is with his disciples for the last time before his death. You know, uh, two things strike me about that. Number one, if you're with the people that you love for the last time, before you die, what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the most important thing possible, right? I mean, you're not going to just waste time telling jokes and reminiscing about good times. You're going to talk about things that count. The second thing that strikes me about this is that Jesus, even though he knew what he was going to have to suffer, and I was telling someone last night, he didn't just suffer physically for us. He took the guilt of every sin the shame of every sin ever committed, and bore that in, his, in himself on the cross. He literally became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can't imagine the physical suffering, but I can't imagine the emotional suffering of all the guilt of every sin, that, of every person that would ever live. That is just unbearable to think about. But he did that so that... Uh, he could prepare us to receive him. He could remove any barrier from us so that he could fill us with himself. And so in John 14, so, so, so he's focused on us. He's going to suffer all this stuff. He's going to suffer emotionally. He's going to suffer physically. But his whole focus is on comforting his disciples and preparing them for what's to come. I just can't imagine that. If that would have been me, I would have been curled up in a corner, you know, crying like a, a baby about what I was going to have to go through. Not Jesus. No, he's focused on his disciples. That's the way Jesus functioned. And he makes it very clear in John 14, this is the, the most important thing he was probably going to say, uh, is he begins to talk about, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. We're one. And I have functioned my entire life, as I've said for about four straight Sundays, not in God mode. Jesus emptied himself of his godness. Not the, the words in Philippians 2 are literally, he did not consider equality with his father something to be held on to, but he emptied himself of that and came here to live just like you and I have to live every day of our lives, depending on the power of the Spirit and, and trusting in the Father, not in some kind of God mode 
where Jesus could just do anything he wanted to do and say anything he wanted to say in his own power. No, he emptied himself of that and, ha- and, 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 and lived the way that we have to live. In the power of the Spirit, listening to the voice of the Father, watching what the Father's doing, listening to what the Father's saying, and ju- doing just that, obeying his Father. He could, have, he could have done it the God way and just been like, hey, I'm here, I have the superpowers, but he chose to live like us. And then he said, I'm in my, I am in my Father, my Father is in me, and now we're going to come and be in you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, and Jesus says, I and my Father are going to come and make our abode, our home, our place of dwelling inside of you so that we can be one just as I and the Father are one. We're going to, I mean, that, that is mind-blowing that Jesus is going to come and have that kind of union with us. Divinity and humanity wedded in a new race of people. A new race, a race of the spiritually alive, the, the, the race of Christ in me, me in Christ. So that was last week. This morning I want to talk about how to, how to live that way. Like, how do we live this out? You know, it's one thing to just know that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And that can seem at times kind of very ethereal, kind of very kind of out there, kind of, okay, I'm in him, he's in me. You know, Dennis brought it home last week when he talked about, or two weeks ago when he talked about us being Twinkies. You know, Jesus is the, is, is, is the, the outer part, and we're the cream inside, you know. We're, and, and that's, you know, I don't really feel like cream a lot, but anyway. Um, but, but seriously, there's that kind of connection. But this morning, I want to talk about how, how we're also the outside, and Jesus is the cream in us. He is our life. He lives in us. We're the temple. He's the, the spirit that fills us. So my, the title of my message this morning is How Jesus Lives in and Through Us. How does this actually play out in our lives? How does this play out in our lives? Do you ever get frustrated with trying to live this Christian life? Do you ever get tired of sin? Like tired of just trying and failing and and, and, and strapping it on and, and getting up in the morning and feeling like you've you know, thinking about all the ways you failed the day before and all the things that you have before you today and just feeling like turning over and pulling the covers over your head and just going back to sleep because you can't face the day. And you're, you're wondering, you know, did I miss something? Like this Christian life, isn't it supposed to be a life of victory and joy and peace? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I feeling like a failure on the one hand? And, you know, Neil keeps telling us that we're not sinners saved by faith. We're, sa- sa- we're saints who sometimes sin. That's what the New Testament says. Why do I feel like a sinner? Why do I feel defeated? Why do I struggle so much? You know, I- I've spent so much of my Christian life, including as a pastor, going through that, that daily struggle, that daily, uh, you know, circling the, I feel like the Israelites circling the mountain in the desert, you know, just going around and around with my struggles and my sin. Maybe, maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. You're like, Neil, I, I identify with everything you just said. Stuck in that Romans 7 quagmire that Paul talks about, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do, and uh, I'm telling you, that is not the normal Christian life. If you've been told that or if you believe that, you believe the lie. And I'm going to explain that this morning. But this life is not about trying not to do the wrong things and trying to do the right things. It's, that's not what this is about. You know, I was in college, 1978. I was a sophomore in college. I remember this so clearly. I'm sitting in the library. And guys, I, I, I love to learn I love to, to grow in my knowledge and understanding of things, especially spiritual things. I read a lot of books. Uh, I read the Word every day. I have my devotional classes, but I hated school. I was not a classroom kind of guy. I, I remember uh, Ben Ganson's wife. Ben used to be our associate pastor, and Janelle was his wife. She said, I love school. I loved all the homework. I loved all the papers. I thought, I'm like, you're a crazy woman, you know? I hate every minute of my my family is not a you know big on the school kind of family. My kids just learn things absorbing it out of the air. I don't understand, but anyway, 
We're just not big on, you know, like sitting and writing papers and stuff. And I was a sophomore in college, and I was 20 years old, and, and I had all this energy, and I wanted to be out doing stuff, being with my friends, you know, maybe, uh, you know, going for a run or, or just playing tennis or whatever. I'm sitting in the library trying to get motivated to write a paper, and I just can't even focus on it. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I got to do this. I got to get through school. You know, I got to, there's things to do. And so I'm sitting there totally frustrated trying to figure out how to get motivated to write this paper. And I, I realized that there was a battle going on inside of me. It was like there was a parent there that wanted to get things done, you know, get, get to work on that paper. And there's some kind of like little kid in me that's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. Oh, you probably never experienced that, but that was my experience. So all of a sudden, this poem started coming into my brain. You guys experience that all the time, right? You're struggling with something and you, suddenly you're hit with a poem. Now, I'm sure that's not the case, but I'm not a, I've written maybe three poems in my entire life, but this is one of them I wrote and I entitled it The Both of Me. And this is, this is how it goes. There are two of me, both inside this one casing, living side by side, <clears throat> constantly at odds with each other. The one always persistent in its demands of the other. That's the parent, you know having high ideals, the other apathetic, even yawning on occasion as the one goes on and on with colorful speeches of future successes, the one ever looking to improve, the other only looking to escape, the one beseeching the other, try, only try, but the other ignoring the plea, and day after day, the struggle continues. The victor will determine the fate for the both of me. It sounds a lot like Romans 7, doesn't it? I want to do the right thing, but I keep doing the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I keep doing those things I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man. That doesn't mean I'm a wretch. That means miserable. The word means miserable. Oh, miserable man that I am. This internal civil war going on. God never intended us to live like that. There is no civil war. That, that's a deception. Because I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. Little did I know that the victor already lived inside of me. And he had the answer. <laughs> he is the victor. And he says that those who live in me will be more than conquerors. I'd just like to have been a conqueror in that moment. How about you? He said, you're more than a conqueror through Christ who loved you. Man, wow, what, what in the world? The victor is already there. It wasn't that I needed to be a better, better version of myself. Guys, your flesh is not improved. You, you can't improve upon your flesh. You will never get your flesh. See, the old man is dead, but we still live in a fallen body. My fallen body did not want to be sitting in the library. My fallen brain did not want to be focused on a paper. I wanted to be on a date or something, you know? I wanted to be watching a movie holding a girl's hand or something. I didn't want to be in the library. We live in this, you know, Francis of Assisi, one of the great saints of God, you know, one of the church fathers, used to call his, excuse the French here, but he used to call his body Brother Ass. <laughs> now, what he was saying was Brother Donkey, but that's what they called donkeys back in his day. So he's like, my body's like a donkey. I'm having to pull it along, trying to get it to do the right thing. While I'm trying to live in the spirit, my body wants to do all the wrong things. We deal with that. I mean, honestly. So, so th there is a bit of a civil war, but it's not my old man and my new man fighting each other. It's just that I live in a fallen body. And I need something higher than myself, my, my willpower, to live this Christian life, and so do you. And that is never how God intended for us to live. So we've established the fact that in the last eight weeks, that Christ is in us and we are in him. <laughs> We've established that fact, but how do we let him live his life through us? That is the question today. That is the million-dollar question. How does this work? Because a lot of times we don't understand it. We don't, we don't get it. Like, like have, you ever, have you ever struggled with that? Like, did I miss something? Did I not get the, the memo? Did I not get the manual? Did I not get the new download that, you know, in my computer that the, 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 the uh, you know, 201, 301, whatever that 
I move out of trying to, to live in my willpower to actually living in the spirit. How did I miss that? Well, I, t- I talk to people all the time that are just tired of being defeated. They're tired of sinning. They're tired of trying hard to live the Christian life and not being able to pull it off. They're tired of reading books about these great saints of God who have lived these amazing lives and yet they see themselves as just walking in circles around their struggles and sin. So how do we get out of the way (laughs) and let Jesus live his life, his amazing, overcoming, powerful, obedient to his Father life through us? And, And here's another question I want you to ponder this morning. Maybe you're just yawning, you're like, why do I care? Like, what difference does it make? What are the consequences? If you reach the end of your life and you've just lived for yourself, you've made all your own decisions, you've made all your own plans, and, you know, and you've just lived for yourself, and you've ignored the fact that Jesus lived in obedience to his Father, only doing what the Father said, only, saying, or only uh, doing what the Father did and saying what the Father said, what if you just live your life in your own, in your own will, doing your own thing, even though you're a Christian, What will you have forfeited? What will your children have missed? Think about it. If you don't live the life you're supposed to live, and again, it's not really you living it. (laughs) That's what I'm going to get to. I'm I'm, I'm giving the punchline away here because Christ has to live through you. But what if you choose not to live that way? Then you've really missed life. I'm sorry. You've just missed abundant life. That Christ, Christ came to give us. So please, please, go with me. So have you wondered how this Christian life is supposed to work? Have you, you know, you've heard the phrase probably all your life, let go and let God. Have you ever wondered how that works? Have you ever, have you ever wondered uh, why this Christian life isn't more joyful, more peaceful, more, more powerful? There's not more of Christ's presence I have, I've struggled with that, but I feel like as I've journeyed through this thing and and I have pursued this with all my heart, guys, what I'm giving you this morning is is a result of a lifelong pursuit because I am not satisfied with not finding out how to live this way. I'm not okay with that, and I hope you're not either. You know? I mean, why would we be? Why would we want anything less than what God has for us? Why live in the flesh when we can live in the spirit? Why produce works of the flesh when we could produce life-changing, life-transformation, eternal fruit, and and bear, bear that fruit into the lives of those we love and those we encounter every day? What does the New Testament, the New Covenant, have to say about this? The Old Covenant was all about, here's the law. God said, here's the law. Now you keep it, and if you don't keep it, there's consequences You break the law, there's consequences. Jesus came and said, I'll take all those consequences and I'll take them to the cross and then I'm gonna give them my life. I'm gonna take their sin and give them my life. That's what's happening here. So what is the answer? What does the New Testament have to say about this? Paul, the Apostle Paul, seems to have found the answer. And it can be summarized in one verse of scripture Galatians 2:20 Guys this is the text for this morning I could preach for 10 months on this one passage I or this one scripture I guarantee you if you could go ahead and put that up Paul says I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live Now there's some, some good news right there If we can learn to live like this I'm dead <laughs> That that guy in the library is dead. Like, like, like I have been co-crucified with Christ. When he went to the cross, he didn't just die for me. He died as me, and I died with him. And it's no longer I who live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, there's some great news. Christ lives in me. He's the cream in your Twinkie. <laughs> But he's more than that. Oh, my gosh. You see, Christ is divine. He is God the Son. He is God in human flesh. 
so, so exciting. And the life I now live in the body, in Brother Ass, Brother Donkey, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God. My faith is in him, not in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He went and prepared a place for me. That is a clean dwelling place so that he could come and live in me. So that I could be where he is and he could be where I am. The the Passion Translation, uh, a a good commentary on this this, uh, verse here. I'm just going to read a few points from that. It says, the anointed one, Christ, lives through me. That word in and through can be the same word. We live in union as one. (laughs) We live in union with the Son of God, God the Son. Guys, I I can't wrap my brain around that. It's going to take the rest of my life and probably half of eternity to, to, to just really understand what that means. But let me just say this. That's how we were designed in the first place. You and I were created to live on, to run on, to, to, to exist in this human body with our souls, our minds, wills, and emotions, in our identity as one with him and his spirit in us living through us. That's how we were designed. You see, the, the human race, after Adam's sin and his spirit died and he gave birth to a, a race of dead, spiritually dead people, we were a caricature of what we were supposed to be. We were a perversion of what we're supposed to be. Human beings without the Spirit of God is a perversion. And we started looking more like sin and Satan than than image bearers of our Creator. But we we were supposed to be image bearers. He created them in His image, in His likeness. Male and female, He created them to be His image bearers and to receive the Spirit of Christ and to live in the power of the Spirit as we live this life. We're the only creatures created to do that and be that. My life is empowered by faith in the Son of God. My life is empowered by faith in the Son of God. Guys, let me just say this. If you're going to receive anything from God, this is universally true. It has to be by faith. You have to believe that there's a God. You have to believe that. You have to believe that, that um, Jesus died for you, that, that the Son of God came and died for you. You, you. you have to believe that your salvation is free. It's a free gift based on what he did for you. You have to believe that he can come and live his life in you and through you. It, it's by faith. From, from, uh, you know, Paul says in, in, in Romans 1, this gospel, and this is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the gospel this morning. This is the good news. Christ lives in you. The gospel is by faith from first to last. It's the only way we, faith is the hand that receives everything from God. You know the story of, of, of the, the centurion, this Roman soldier? His, his child is dying. His, no, his servant is dying in this case. His servant is dying, and he's heartbroken about this. And he comes to Jesus a Roman centurion, not a Jew, a Gentile, one of the oppressors of, of the Jewish people. But this man is a God-fearer, and he's heard about Jesus. And somehow he believes that this man, Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, can heal his servant. And so he comes to Jesus and says, my servant is dying. And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, you don't even have to come. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Jesus is like, I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. He was amazed. He was astounded. Jesus was astounded by that. It was the hand that received the healing. And in that very hour, as soon as that transaction happened, his servant was healed. By the time he got home, he was, he was fully healed. The woman that had the issue of blood, she was bleeding to death. Slowly, but surely. And she said, man, if I, could just get to G- if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And he's on his way to heal this girl that had died. 
This, this man, Jarius, his daughter was dying, and by the time he got there, she was already dead. Of course, he, raised, he ran everybody out that didn't have faith and raised this girl from the dead. He said, if you don't believe that I can raise her from the dead, get out. And that cleared the room except for her parents. And then he picked her up, took her hand, picked her up. But this woman with the, with the issue of blood, if I, can just get, if I can just touch his robe, and he turns around and he said, who touched me? And he's, he's in a crowd that's just crushing in on him. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. No, he said, no, someone, I felt power leave me. I felt this power go out from me into someone else who touched me. And when she owned it, he said, your faith has healed you. Now, I don't believe that we always have to be the one to have faith when we're praying for healing. I, I, when Becky's eyes were healed, I don't think she had the faith to believe. She, she said she was afraid to open her eyes. Because she was blind, and, and she was so disappointed. She, she didn't want to be disappointed again when she opened her eyes. It wasn't her faith that healed her. But there was faith in the room. And everything that we receive, we receive by faith from God. So Paul says, I died with Christ on the cross. My old self is, is dead, but Christ lives in me, and he's wanting to live through me. And the life I now live, I live by this faith. Guys, we have to believe this. Do you believe that Christ is in you? It's so important that you do and that he wants to take over and live his awesome, amazing, powerful life through you because he's willing and ready to do it. Oh, guys, I, if, we, if this church can get a hold of this truth, this church will become the seedbed for revival. I'm, 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 I'm hitting the punchline already, but I'm going to share more about that at the end. Guys, if we can really get a hold of this, if we can really believe Christ lives in me, and he lives, he wants to live his life through me, and so I, I'm just going to let him do it. I'm going to get out of his way, and I'm going to trust that every time I encounter something that I can't handle, I can't, but he can. I can't do this, but he can do this. We got to believe it's possible. We got to believe that this is the way it's supposed to work. Like, not only is it possible, this is the answer. This is the answer. You know that passage in Romans 7, and uh, uh, <laughs> Shane, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge something this morning. I'm not saying that, 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 that the, the explanation that, that you guys have, have told us in Chrysalis is wrong. But there's another possibility. So there's three possibilities of what Rome, uh, Paul is talking about in Romans 7 when he says, I do, you know, when, when the law came to life, I died. When it said don't covet, I found in myself coveting of every kind. And then he goes on to say that you know, I, I, I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. One, uh, one possibility is that's just, Christ, that's just the way life is. But if that's the case, then Paul is schizophrenic. Because he's just said in Romans 6, I died with Christ, I was buried with him, I died to sin, My, I died and, and I'm, I've been raised to live a new life in the Spirit. Therefore, reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus and don't allow yourselves to be a slave to sin. And then a chapter later he's like, oh, woe is me because I just keep doing the things I don't want to do and I do the things. Are you schizophrenic, Paul? No. That's not the way to interpret that. You've got to have the context. He's just said in the first um, six verses of Romans 7, I died to the law and now I'm married to Christ. And the life I live, I live in the Spirit. I live by the Spirit. I live married to Christ in the Spirit. And I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to all those things that used to bind me. And I can live in victory. So reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So Romans 7 can't be that that's the Christian life. That, oh, you know, all that's true, but yet I still just struggle with sin all the time. That's schizophrenia. That's, that doesn't make any sense. So one of the other explanations is Paul is just setting up a, like a straw man. He's just putting himself in the place of the person that's trying to keep the law in the flesh. Like I'm trying to do good things in my own power. And, and he's just setting up this straw man to show that that doesn't work. You can't the law does not give life. It, not, it doesn't bring salvation. It doesn't bring victory over sin. Obeying the law. In fact, Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is the law. 
The law empowers sin. I think I, think I said this a couple, of years, uh, a couple of years ago. I've said it a thousand times, but you know, when, you see, when you're on, on a college campus and you see the sign that says, keep off the grass, you either want to walk on it or smoke it, you know? And so, and so uh, you know, it's just that, that's, that's human nature. The law just stirs up sin. And so Paul is, is saying, this is what it looks like. But here's one other possibility, and Dennis introduced this to me last week when we were talking about this. He said, Paul was such a Pharisee. He was so proud of his Jewish achievements. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Benjamite. He was a genuine Jew, 100% thoroughbred, you know, purebred Jew, who was, who was exceeding all his contemporaries in keeping the law of Moses. And then he had this encounter on the road to Damascus where the Lord Jesus appeared to him when he was arresting Christians and having them persecuted and put in jail and put to death like Stephen. You know, he held the, everyone's coats while he stoned Stephen to death for being a Christian, for believing Jesus was Messiah. And Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. And he has this revelation. He, he's blinded by the light of Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And you're persecuting me by persecuting my people. And so he has this transformation, and he goes, he goes into Damascus, and he goes to Straight Street, and this man named Ananias has, has this vision from the Lord, and he says, go and pray for Saul. And, and uh, he says, nah, because he'll, he'll kill me. And he said, do it anyway, because I'm telling you to. And so he goes, and, and he lays hands on, on Saul, and these scales fall from his eyes, and he can see again, and then he's filled with the Spirit, Dennis said there are a number of commentators that believe that Paul came out of that experience and tried to wed his Judaism with his new faith in Christ. And what he found was, when he tried to go back and live under the law, it didn't work for him anymore. It backfired on him. And so you remember he goes to Arabia and he says in, in Galatians uh, chapter 1, I didn't receive the gospel from any man. The Lord Jesus himself gave me the gospel. I believe that, that this may be right, that he tried to live this synchronization of the old and new covenant, the, the old law and the new man and the spirit, and it just wasn't working for him. And so he had to abandon it. And by the time he writes Romans 7, you know, he's like, hey, I tried this, folks. It didn't work. In fact, it backfired on me, and I became miserable. And then I'm like, what, you know, what do I do? And I realized that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had set me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus was my victor. <laughs> and so now he's living the reality of Galatians 2.20. I died. I don't live. He lives. He lives his life through me. And this is the way you do it, folks. This is the way we do it. So if you're trying hard to live the Christian life, my advice to you is stop. You can't do it. You can't, but he can. You know? When he was here on this earth, he could, but he didn't. He could have lived his own life, but he chose to live life in the Spirit in obedience to his Father. But now as he comes to live his life through us, we can't, but he can, and he does. I hope that makes sense. Let me just say this. Stop trying. Stop striving. You cannot live the Christian life. You can't do it. Only Christ can live this Christian life. And he went to a whole lot of trouble to get himself inside of you. He went through a, he went through a whole lot of trouble. We're talking about the cross, okay? I go to prepare a place for you. That's where he was going. To prepare you for him on the cross. To clean you out. To, 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 to put to death your old Adam nature and connection so he could fill you with himself. Where is that? I have a, just a really cool quote here. I can't find it. Um, but it's, it goes something like this. Jesus didn't just... Jesus didn't just come to, to earth so you could go to heaven. He came from heaven so he could be inside of you. He could live inside of you. He didn't just come, oh, that's what, he didn't come from heaven to get you out of hell. He came from heaven 
to get heaven into you, to get himself into you. It's, it's, it's both. It's both. So, <laughs> he wants to live his life through you. So please, for heaven's sake, get out of his way and let him do it. If I could go back to that 20-year-old Neil in 1978 sitting in that cubicle in that library, I would say, look, dude, <laughs> stop trying to improve yourself. Just tear up that poem because that's not, the, you know, there's nothing to do with you right now. You need to turn to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I can't write this paper. I don't even want to be here. So you're going to have to do it through me. You're going to have to write this paper through me. So I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to surrender to you. I'm just going to say, Jesus, you do this. And you can use my hands, my eyes, my brain, the books that I have in front of me. And would you just write this paper? And I'll just be with you. I'll just, together, we'll just do this. And then peace would come, and I would be able to write that paper because Jesus would be doing it through me. When I went to prepare the sermon, <laughs> that's the first thing I did, honest to goodness. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. I can't communicate what needs to be said this morning. And I'm going to tell you guys, last night, 10 o'clock, I was freaking out. <laughs> I kind of lapsed back into what I was preaching against. I was like, oh, I, don't, I can't do this. There's just no way. I was going to spend a lot of time going over my notes. That time didn't happen. It just, did, it just didn't happen. I had a lot of things come up, things crop up that I had to deal with, and I couldn't, I couldn't spend the time. I think Jesus just wanted to, he was just messing with me. He, wanted me, he was like, you're not going to be able to, in your own strength, get ready for this message. So I'm going to make it so that you can't go over your notes. Like, I promised the sermon prep team, I'm going to go over this and over this until I can do this without my notes. I, I got to walk through it one time last night, late last night, and then I was just exhausted and went to bed. And I went to bed saying, Jesus, I can't, but you can. <laughs> I can't, but you can. He was making me field test my own theory. <laughs> So, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down and tired of living in your own strength and tired of striving and tired of straining and tired of failing and tired of carrying everything in your life for you and your family. How many of you are carry not only your own burdens but all your kids and your grandkids? And yeah, yeah, I see those hands. And I see the ones that aren't being raised too. I have supernatural power to do that. Jesus in me. He said, take my yoke upon you. I'll give you rest, he said. I won't wear you out. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, I am the vine, you are the branch. Just rest in me, remain in me, stay connected with me, and you'll bear fruit. Supernaturally, effortlessly, you will bear fruit because I'm divine. And my, my sap runs through your branch. Same thing, different, different analogy, same, same thing. But here's the mind-blowing thing. The same Jesus that said, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is the same Jesus that later on said, if anyone would follow me and be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow, Jesus, you got all serious on me now. Now I'm bearing something that's heavy. Now I can't, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I have the strength to do that. It's the same thing. All of those statements are the same. His cross was the cross. Your cross is the light and easy yoke and burden. Your cross is to stay connected with the Savior. It's God's will. God's will for Jesus was the cross. God's will for you is to stay yoked with Jesus, remain in him, abide in him, rest in him, follow him, be available to him. So what do we do with this? What, what do we do with this? 
Well, first of all, we live by faith in the Son of God. We just put all our faith, all our trust, all our eggs in his basket and say, Jesus, you do what I can't do. You, I can't, but you can. And then we let him do what's in front of us. That sermon that we got to prepare. We say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. The night before, when we say, Lord, I can't preach this sermon I prepared. I can't, but you can. I got up this morning, and I felt like a truck had hit me, honestly. I, felt, I just felt like, God, I can't do this. I don't know if you've ever awakened and realized you had to say something intelligent to a group of 200 people. It can be terrifying. It was this morning. <laughs> I woke up, and, and all of a sudden, I had this knot in my stomach. God, I can't do this. Jesus said, I, don't worry, I, I got it. I got you. <laughs> Seriously. That small group that you have agreed to lead, I can't do this, Lord. I got this thing tonight. I can't do this. By the way, someone wisely said, if you only have time to do one of two things, either pray or prepare for a small group, pray. <laughs> yeah. That interview that you just don't believe you can get through to get that job that you want so badly. That ominous task on your to-do list that you just know that you can't do that, that it's just way too big for you. It's not too big for Jesus. It's not too big for him. That terrifying meeting tomorrow morning with the boss. God, I can't go in. My knees will be knocking out. I'll be stuttering and stammering, and I have no idea what he's going to say. I may not even have a job. I'm terrified. Jesus is like, I got you. And even if you lose your job, I'll give you a better one. I got this. I got this. You can't, but I can. Jesus, I can't do this, but you can. Lord Jesus, you do it. You do it. I'll let you use my hands, my feet, my eyes, my mouth, my brain, but you take over. You live this through me. And by the way, don't, please don't ever do this again. Never ask Jesus to help you. He has no interest in helping you. He wants to do it. <laughs> yeah, just say, Jesus, I'll be available to you but you do it. I don't need your help. I need you to do it. Does that make sense? Because the moment we ask him for help, then we're doing it. And, and Jesus doesn't like independence. I read this morning in my, in my quiet time, it was just God just dropped, dropped it in there. He's like, hey, you might want to throw this out this morning. In fact, I, I think he said to, to tell you this. In Jeremiah 17, it says this, cursed is the man who trusts in his flesh, in the flesh. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. So if you're trusting in your flesh, you're living a cursed life. Now, not that's old covenant, and we don't walk around under God's curses, okay? That's not, that's not how this works. You know, in the new covenant, we have all kinds of grace. But guys, don't put your trust in your flesh. It's still the same principle. You trust in the flesh, it doesn't work out well. You trust in the Spirit, in, in, in Christ in you, it works out great. So, here's what it looks like. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Next time you're faced with a situation that you can't handle, own it. In fact, if you can handle it, own it. Just say, Lord, I think I can do this, but I would be a fool to trust in my flesh. So let's just go ahead and give that to you too. I can handle it, you do it. I can't handle it, you do it. Jay Hudson Taylor said, whether it's it, something that's easy, I, I need his grace. And if it's hard, his grace is sufficient. If it's easy, I need his grace if, and strength. If it's difficult, his grace is sufficient. His strength is sufficient for me. He is my sufficiency. So, Jesus, here I am, and here you are. You can do what I can't do. Live like that and watch what happens. And I'm going to give you a little heads up. Here's what's going to happen. Abundant life happens. Joy and peace happen. The manifest presence of God happens. Miracles happen. Success in a job well done happens. Satisfaction in life happens. 
Rest happens. Fruit happens. A deeper relationship with Jesus happens because you're in constant communion with him. You're actually living in the reality that Christ is in you and he is in, and you are in him. And so what would happen? Let me just say this. I'm, this is my conclusion. What would happen if every person in this church lived like that? <laughs> what would happen? I want to find out. I want to find out. I intend to live this way, guys. I'm telling you. Jesus, I can't do it, but you can. So you, you do this through me. You, you teach me. You lead me. You, your spirit, like, like, like the Holy Spirit. He who began a good work in me is still doing it. He has to change us. He has to do the hard work to change us. But I want to lean in by faith into the one who is able to do what I can't do and who is better able to do what I can do. You see what I'm saying? I might be able to do it, but he can do it, he can do it much better. So much better your way, the song says. What would happen if we allowed Jesus to live his powerful, loving, forgiving, obedient to the Father life through us? What if we combine last week's message of watching what Jesus is doing and listening to what he's saying, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep know my voice, they follow me, and we started living in obedience to his voice, watching what he's doing, listening to what he's saying, and being obedient, and then letting him have the authority, the power, and our blessing and our will to say, Jesus, I can't, but you can. What if we live like that? I believe that Jesus' prayer, when he taught the disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven would begin to happen right here in this church and through this church into this community. I believe we would see miracles happen. I, th- I believe we would see revival happen. Guys, God, God can take a group of, of this size and change the world. He can if we let him do it. If we live in submission to him and say, Jesus, I can't, but you can, and I'm going to be obedient I'm going to let you use me for your will and your purposes. I'm, I'm going to just live like you live with the Father, you know, doing what you're doing, saying what you're saying, living in obedience. But I'm not going to be the one doing it. I'm just going to surrender and submit to you and let you live your life through me. I believe it would change everything. Dennis, can you bring me the notes that are right there? Because I grabbed the wrong set of notes. I've been preaching out of the wrong set of notes. Isn't that just like Jesus? I had, this is the set of notes I was supposed to be preaching from. And, by the way, Wes has chicken pox. He is covered in pox. So bad that that he came down with them last Sunday. He's got them so bad that he had to go to the ER yesterday. And he's on three different medications, and he is covered. Like, I saw him yesterday. He looks like a leper. But anyway, that's why he wasn't here today. So, <laughs> I want to tell you a quick story about, and this, I'll end with this. We celebrated last month St. Patrick's Day. It's usually drinking beer and green stuff, right? Even green beer, you know, combine the two. So you got to wear green so you don't get pinched, and you're supposed to drink a lot of beer. That is the most horrible way to celebrate this great man's life that I've ever, you know, I can't imagine anything further from what he was. St. Patrick's, St. Patrick was a young teenager uh, living in England. He was born and raised in England, and he was kidnapped by some Irish pirates, and he was taken to Ireland, and he ended up being a slave uh, worker for a Druid priest. That'd be like a warlock, like the, you know, horrible situation. He's a teenager, and he's been raised as a Christian, and so he begins to pray, all day long, everything he does as a young teenager, he's praying, 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 praying. Five years as a slave to a Druid priest. He is able to escape five years later and through uh, a lot of twists and turns, ends up back with his family. So now he's, you know, uh, in, his, in his early 20s, he has a dream. And in this dream, this messenger named Victorious comes and hands him a letter 
and said, this, is, this letter is from Jesus. And he opens the letter. And it's actually the cry of the Irish people for him to come back and teach them salvation. And so he voluntarily goes back to Ireland and leads thousands upon thousands of people to Christ. And there's this famous prayer that's like this long, and it's on a shield. It's called the Shield of St. Patrick. And I'm going to read the most important part for this morning. Listen to this. Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I rise up. Here's a man who knew that he was the the cream and the Twinkie. He knew that Christ was all over him, in him, around him, and he lived his life like this. Let me give you just a short account of the record of what he was accomplished in Ireland. This is from an old manuscript. It says, For the blind and the lame, the deaf and the dumb, the palsy, the lunatic, the leprous and the, the epileptic, all who labor under disease, did he... St. Patrick, in the name of the Holy Trinity, restore unto the power of their limbs, unto entire health. And in these good deeds, he daily practiced, daily practiced, Christ within me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ completely in God. He lived out of the reality of his union with Christ. Listen to this. Thirty and three dead men, some of who had been had been many years buried did this great reviver raise from the dead as above we have more fully recorded. People who had been dead for years were raised from the dead by this man. 33 people, 33 dead people were raised to life. Legend? We just know that St. Patrick lived in a phenomenal life and, and won many thousands of people to Christ. There are Christians in Ireland because of St. Patrick. And he's celebrated to this day. Guys, one man. What can an entire church do if we live like this? If we really believe we're connected with him, what could happen? We would change the world. This church could change the world. Anybody want to go with me? Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.